episode 73, 74, something in the 70s. Who knows? We are that 70s show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of the Veteran Fat TV rundown coming to you live about a week removed from being the only team to not advance from the first round of the playoffs having played a home game. Uh, needless to say, it's pretty fucking embarrassing. That's uh, <laughs> one. Here to talk about, uh, I don't know, what's the word you want to use? Because uh, I'm kind of out of them right now. Uh, 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 I don't know, a shit show, uh, uh, an annoyance, I don't know. But basically, it seems to be yet another airing grievances episode. So ladies and gentlemen, if you came for the drama, strap yourselves in, because I'm pretty sure uh, we have it in spades, basically. Uh, so um, before we delve into it, how are you, Mr. Escalante? How are you? I'm doing well, Lens. I will say, hearing your voice again is 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 a is a welcome return. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I was pretty burnt out about a whole variety of things over the last couple of months. Fair uh, enough. Yeah, it's uh, hasn't been the greatest couple of months in my mental state. I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, I see yes, this. If I, you know, if I were you, I would not, I would not pin my mental health on anything related to Gerhard Struber. So you made, you made the right choice. Yeah, it was actually kind of refreshing. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I kind of realized uh, how, uh, I don't know. I guess how much less stressed I guess you are mm-hmm. if you eliminate certain things from your life and have a detox for a bit. And, uh, you know, I mean, I guess uh, arguing about things online is certainly one of them. I'm not going to lie to you. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, now we have to, uh, but now we're kind of in a state where I feel like it's uh, time to, uh, time to at least address, I guess, uh, the general state of things, you know, and I think, um, and I think it would be, and I certainly think uh, we find ourselves in a very, um, shall we say, bizarre time in club history it's certainly not the best time i mean i think uh when you talk about the best of times and the worst of times we're definitely towards the latter end of the spectrum right now especially uh you know especially in this um post global era right i guess of red bull soccer um if it even really exists anymore i think which is i think uh we're probably touched upon quite a fair bit earlier this year and we're probably going to touch upon again sometime this episode but i think before we really get into the nitty-gritty of that i think let's uh touch briefly on what got us here right and uh look i mean there's been a lot of chatter i guess that i see um about last saturday's before it's been one of the most overall pathetic experiences ever seen at Red Bull Arena. And, you know, I mean, I am vaguely inclined to agree, right? Let's run down the list. A flat performance from the team. Mm-hmm. Yet another incredibly disappointing um, defeat uh, from the jaws of victory, right? <laughs> An empty arena, um, basically... Um, the attendance being propped up by all these, uh, I don't know, these youth club kids who uh, just basically disappeared, right, the week after. I mean, you can talk about a noon kickoff all you want, but uh, still, I mean, uh, 
empty arenas are fine so long as i don't know the atmosphere feels good but even then the the, the vibes at the arena just seem absolutely fucked right i mean uh it was it was weird man like i feel like we were all just doing our best but you know supporter section was full enough but even then like we just didn't have it in us the last 10 minutes you know uh with you know for good <laughs> for good reason the team was not doing that hot um like you said this feels like the culminate i feel like this game is a good microcosm for the season, not just on the field of what transpired um, with the team's play, but also just generally the vibe around how this team connects itself to the fans. Um, I part, you know, like I think you've touched on it, but like this club strategy of like essentially marketing towards children and their families comes back to bite you on match days when it seems like they're busy with other things. Um, this might get talked about on other podcasts. It's definitely been mentioned on, on RB Twitter, but it's just like the team just doesn't feel like marketing to uh, people who like soccer. I feel like no else to say it, but like people who like, who like soccer and have disposable income and can come out on match days whenever they want. Um, if we want to talk about the specifics of the game, it's just another thing where Struber tinkers again and, plays a player in a weird spot and it doesn't work out. And it seems like we're bailed out by an individual player's moment of brilliance. And then it all falls apart and the shape changes and we can't see it out through 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, what I was going to get into of course was the, the, the tactical decisions, but I think uh, since we were going to touch upon, I guess uh, the, the opening vibes as well. Right. I mean, I think, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's not just the marketing campaign as well, but I think the overall in-stadium experience from what I hear is just kind of fallen off a cliff, right? I mean, uh, we used to talk about uh, Red Bull Arena being a really good place to just enjoy an like a unfiltered, pure soccer experience, right? Get Absolutely, really man. In the arena, um, the supporters section, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe not as big as some other clubs around the league, but certainly one of the most vocal and most passionate on on an average basis, right? I mean, uh, pound for pound, I think you'd probably say the South Ward can hang with basically anyone in the league. I say this as a former member of it myself, right? Uh, certainly felt that way, right? And there used to be a swagger, I think, that pervaded around the arena as well, right? Yeah. Knowing that, you know, you were basically behind this punchy, um, sort of, this punchy club that was sort of on the edge, right, of doing incredible things in the league on a yearly basis, right? Youngest, like, despite perpetually being one of the youngest and, uh, you know, I guess uh, in terms of salary, cheapest rosters assembled on a yearly basis, punching way above that weight, right? The sum of the sum of the collective whole being much better than the sum of its parts, right? And this is sort of what the crux of a, uh, I think those golden years between uh, 2015 to 2018 were, right? It was uh, the building of this feeling around this club, right? Of being this kind of uh, upstart um counter revolutionary almost <laughs> <laughs> but even though i think that's a really pretentious word so but yeah i think definitely upstart team yeah that was just basically knocking the socks off of people in a great stadium 
with really vocal, passionate fans, right? And I think in a way that sells itself. You fast forward four years, right? I think so you fast forward four years from there. I mean, the fans are still as vocal as always, as you say. Uh, like, but everything else doesn't really seem to add up anymore, right? I mean, like, uh, and I think when you look at it that way, right, the roster spend has stayed consistent throughout, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's where you have to start to ask yourself, right? If this wasn't really a problem for other managers, then why does it suddenly be a problem all of a sudden for this one, right? For a team whose whole idea of being of the system being the star suddenly has issues with personnel, right? <laughs> and people who used to bandy so much that the system is the star suddenly agreeing with that idea just simply because the manager has gaslighted certain segments of the fan base into thinking that his players aren't good enough. And that he somehow has full trust in his team, but also all his players are young and stupid and inexperienced, and he's the only one that can shine a light on them to show them the right of way. Right? Does that really fucking make any goddamn sense to you when you put it out when you when you lay it when you lay it out that way? No. Right. That that like he likes to really and I think this is what um is a nice segue into what you touched upon earlier, right? I mean, like I, I almost have to admire our manager's um, full-blown commitment to self-sabotage at this point, really, because everything that comes out of his mouth just seems to make an already, uh, what is it, tense situation, I think, even worse, right? I mean, there's no nothing about this guy. The way he talks about football, the way he manages, he he, the way he man manages this team that inspires any confidence in me at all, right? Like, <laughs> if you want to come and tell me that, uh, and if you want to come and tell me that, uh, you know, like, uh, what we spent two million pounds in this guy, Dietrich Mateschitz came down and, uh, you know, uh, personally requested him to come back to Red Bull. I mean, I think that's not really the compliment that you think it is, and I think that in itself is emblematic of <laughs> just how fucking clueless Red Bull Global is, right? Because, I mean, like, um, what about any of this implies that Red Bull Global kind of knows, like, their, like their ass from uh, their nose when it comes to football? You know? Mattishitz is an old man who's dying, basically. All he's, all he's known his whole life is the sign checks. Like, that's the extent <laughs> of his football experience. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, again, right? You, you, the the yeah, I mean, you touched upon this, right? I mean, I I do think that any analysis of currently what's wrong with the club that doesn't at least involve some semblance of analyzing the manager and his decisions isn't giving the complete picture, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, uh. I'll, I'll I'll throw that over to you. Like, um, what stood out for you from the game? I suppose uh, this uh, latest thing. I mean, I think uh, the game, and also I think the post game is going to be a lot of people's minds, right? I mean, I think um, you have any takeaways from that from your side? Talked quite a fair bit. Of- uh, I guess to start with the game itself, uh, the most notable change into uh, how we went into this game is that we played a back four and played. Uh, 
played Andres Reyes as a right back. When that originally dropped, I assumed we were playing what we had been accustomed to seeing at points this year. We were playing a back three and that the only player who could have been playing uh, as a right wing back in this formation would have been Lewis Morgan. But it turns out we were playing a 4-2-3-1 with Andres Reyes playing as a right back. And as the game transpired, I had the, you know, I was just thinking that, oh, I guess we're just not going to attack through that side, which is weird considering how many times, how often we have seen in this season where the right back would be getting up and down the field, providing that outlet out wide, providing overlaps, whipping in crosses, uh, or making dribbles inside in the case of like a guy like Kyle Duncan. Um, But no, you saw Andres Reyes, who a player who I don't know how many times he's played in that position. He might have played it a lot, but I have never seen him in this shirt playing in that position and somehow expecting him to run up and down the right hand flank. And I know like he, he put in one cross and it like, it was comically like off target. Yeah. I mean, it looked like a center back trying to play fullback. It was, it was bizarre. I don't know. I don't know what the equivalent would be. Wes Morgan has like deputized a bunch at right back for Man United, right? But was was this similar to that? Oh, oh Wes Brown. Uh, Wes Brown. I'm uh, sorry. Wes Morgan is the Jamaican the player. Guy, for, yeah. um, Lester guy. Wes Brown. Yes. Wes Brown. Yeah. I mean, I think. Uh, I mean, even then, that was kind of different, right? Right. I mean, I think that was the specific instructions from that era. With that, I think uh, the right back would kind of tuck in a little bit more. Oh, maybe. And, yeah. uh, you know, like that's before fullbacks went really maraud up the field and were expected to provide width, right? I mean, that's, that's completely, true. I think it is a bit of a different era. I mean, Gary maybe, Neville yeah. was. Although I do really... remember that he did whip in a cross in the Champions League final. Yeah, I, I think mean, the last could've. time they won. He could have, but uh, yeah. But, um, but I think he also I... definitely had more reps, um, I think, throughout his career. That is probably career, also so. correct. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think uh, this is a different schema, as you pointed yes. out, right? The fullback in the system provides a lot of width, and it provides a lot mm-hmm. of cutbacks to the center of the box uh, for on-rushing attackers to attack, right? Yes. Uh, that's why we've basically seen the likes of, uh, I don't know, Cameron Harper, Dylan Nealis, and... Uh, right, right. I think that's the main more point that... minded players being... Yeah, Andres Reyes is not the profile of player uh, we wanted in this spot. And yeah. as it turns out, he was gassed pretty fairly quickly, had to come out. And I think he ended up playing most of the game, or let me just make sure. Uh, he comes out. Yeah, he comes out in the 82nd minute for Kyle Duncan, which I don't know, man. Well, I think the original idea was that he they had um, Alvaro Barreal as their like attacking left wing back. And that's sort of to neutralize him. But it didn't seem like you could just you could just play a back three. I don't get it. And then like another thing is that and this might be a minor gripe with like team communication, which could this also could come back down to Struber too. But uh, the graphic, the lineup graphic, did not have Dylan Nealis in the lineup. So I had assumed originally that he was injured, but no, he was actually in the squad. And the team was explaining how we were playing a four-two-three-one, and he was on the bench. And it's like you have two right backs on the field, or no, on your bench, and you're instead choosing to deputize one of your center backs. You know, I'm you know I was not trained. At the fancy lad Austrian school of football and insurance adjustment, but you know, it's baffling these kinds of decisions. Um, yeah. and it, it, it seemed like it, the story in this match, it seemed like very indicative of a lot of times the season where it's just like a lot of nervy moments, a lot of bending, but not breaking. 
Um, and then the ball kind of pops out to Lewis Morgan. I think this is the second ball off of, off a set piece. And like Lewis Morgan has done many times this season, at least, I don't know, he has how many goals this season? 17 goals this season, all competitions, getting a clean strike on the ball, putting it where the goalkeeper can't get to it. Um, but again, not a goal coming off an attacking move, just kind of like ball popping out to a guy and guy making an individual play. And at that point, I think then after, I think they seem that he like he had injured himself on the celebration. I don't know where he did because he didn't, it's not like he was doing like 90 double somersault flips. Um, but he, anyway, he had to come out and I think Dylan Nealis came in for him. And at that point, if you look at the like the flow chart, the attacking flow chart, like it all just fell apart after that. I, it felt like the the game, the attack, the team shape fell apart. And since he got back into it, I know it was part of it was off a penalty, but then like after the penalty goes in, it's like heads down. We we you know we're trying to get back into it, but it just feels like not enough. Um, yeah, and then I guess I guess we want to move straight into the post game. Uh, oh God, man. Are you a Twitter expert? Am I a Twitter, the RBNY Twitter expert? Uh, I guess if I can back, so before the, so post game, like the literal post game, like after the final whistle, the players are kind of like making their rounds around the stadium, not in, like not as a team, kind of just individually. So like if players wanted to do, wanted to make the rounds and clap the fans, it seemed like they were allowed to do so, but there wasn't like any sort of directive for the team to do it together um you know uh tolkien did his thing edelman did his thing omir did his thing um uh carlos cornell did his thing long kind of kept his distance strange from him i don't know is that what you'd expect from a captain not necessarily am i that mad about it no um what i'm most mad about is that like noticeably struber pretty much was just standing in the center circle chatting with burned eibler his back was turned for a good, like, I don't know, six, seven minutes, eight minutes. Like, it it felt like forever. Like, the way just his back was turned and the reflection off off the back of his bald head was reflecting into the section. I had to put my sunglasses on to keep my <laughs> eye, my, my retinas from being singed. Uh, and then he make and then he approaches the section. He goes up to Torcida, which, you know, I it, find very strange how much he likes Torcida more than the other supporter section. Nothing against Torcida. I guess it's because they approach the training ground and with the smoke and everything. Um, he comes by ESC, uh, head capo of, of Empire Supporters Club, uh, initials SF, is flipping him off. And he does this weird thing where he like, he looks at him, he's like, me? You're flipping off me? Which just, oh, it would be funny if I wasn't as mad, but I think it can be both. Um, just a bizarre vibe post game, but then, uh, as Cork Ben, as our as our friend uh, Ben Cork was transcribing the uh, the post game or you know the the post game presser, you know he called it the big learning moment, a moment to grow. Uh, despite this, is the second time this has happened under his actually no wait second no third time right third time this has happened under his tenure yeah in the yeah. first round of the playoffs yeah, saying he lost to philadelphia in 2019 yeah right yes or, is it 20, uh, or 2020 2020 sorry yeah 2020 right? yeah on the road. he okay, parachuted yeah. himself into the playoff game exactly which is another thing that he probably tried to roberto di matteo himself into our hearts or whatever uh, but to go on with the post game 
He says that since he played hard but fair, which, you know, to quote Drill, like you don't have to hand it to them. It doesn't really matter. Uh, uh, he kept insisting to call the this that this team is young, even though they're a year older. In fact, you know, a year and a half older than he's taken over for them. There aren't that many guys. There aren't that many like new young guys in this team uh, versus last season. Um, which again, he, he styles himself as a youth guru, but somehow he can't get it out of, of this, of this young group of players, many of whom have been playing longer than he's been a professional manager. Um, well, uh, he says that he has a big trust in his team, but some players don't realize what a game like this needs, which again, not the first time he's essentially thrown his players under the bus for not performing the way he wants to. And then he says, despite that he could live with, uh, live with this he lashes out at who he calls twitter experts that expected better from the team and he thought that the thought of trophies for rbny this season was dreaming and this felt like it felt like he was playing the hits but this felt like a new song a new cut off the new album that he was doing where it's like instead of blaming the front office for not giving him the players he wanted and for the players that it's the fault of the players that he currently has for not getting his brilliant tactical ideas but now he's blaming the fans of this team for somehow expecting this team to win games and wanting this team to win games, despite the fact that a week earlier he was saying that people are doubting us in, in the, the media or whatever, that, that they should, they should rate us more often, which I thought that's what we were doing. And also I remember, I don't, you know, I, I was not born yesterday, despite what he says about some of his players, but I do remember that we were 45 minutes away from playing in a cup final this year. So I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. Yeah, no, we, 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 we don't need to litigate what happened in that semifinal. <laughs> no, we don't, but... Also coincidentally due to some Galaxy Brain uh, tactical decisions, eh? <laughs> oh, boy. And then he clo- and then was it, he closes the season, the press conference saying that he thinks that uh, RBNY is ready to make the next big step in 2023, which if I if that step doesn't begin with a tweet saying uh, we have parted ways with, I, I don't think uh, that's the step we need to be making. Yeah, seriously, Yokin, get on it, please. Uh, please <laughs> Yokin, please, I'm on my hands and knees. Please, please prove to me that you're nothing more than just a force ghost. That is. Uh... Oh my god. <laughs> Have we? Has anyone even seen Yokin Schneider? I don't know. Does he even exist? Apparently, he's know. been here, and like members of the supporters' clubs, like the the. Uh... Like the executive, oh, yeah, they have with they him. have met him. That is true, but uh, you know, I mean, um, I have yet to really feel more of an influence, kind of a, as a presence a, with him in the way that we felt with the last sporting director. It's very yeah. weird. I want to believe that, like, it's just like we're just like in the light. We just want a proper football man, not to be like to lean too much into like English soccer posting, but like just like a guy who gets it. You know what I mean? I just want some normalcy and stability. You know, right, like a you know, just 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 a guy like I don't know, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, the just just a guy who comes in, does the signings, hands it over to the manager, and the manager rolls just rolls the ball out and doesn't do anything right? stupid. But you know, you know, I think to uh, roll it back a little bit, right? I mean, I think uh, I didn't realize how much uh, Gerhardt. Yeah, you talk about this being like probably the sort of the edgiest press conference he's done yet, right? I think uh, it's sort of like uh, the, his career has progressed in the same way that Eminem's stand has progressed, right? At first, <laughs> first, he's all nice, writing niceties to Slim, you know, 
the fans and everything talking about how we'll definitely win trophies. And in the second year, it's like it's fucked up that you. <laughs> it's fucked up that the. <laughs> it's fucked up that the front office isn't uh, you know, supporting me. And then the third verse is. Uh, <laughs> and the third verse is as darkest and edgiest one yet, right? Oh my gosh! Uh, basically. <laughs> Goes off in the front office. Goes off on the fans. Uh, basically, he's got his uh, <laughs> he's got Caden Clark locked in the boot of his car, and he's about to drive off a bridge. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, like, I don't know how else to put it other than like it's uh, thin-skinned at best, and like borderline sociopathic behavior. At worst. It's 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 bizarre how at no point sound bites that have. Yeah. yeah, it's like we've touched on it before. Like, there seems to be no accountability on his end, and it's just like you would think there'd be some self awareness, but yeah. it, it's it's baffling sometimes. Yeah, and then this whole time, like he's uh, courting Austrian media for some job at some fucking right. It's club, like, like, and I think there's, I think this has sort of been discussed in other ends of of the fan base, but there's we've mentioned like the match day vibes and the general vibe around the team and a common complaint is that there doesn't seem to be any like connection between the fans and the players. And I'm sure there's some excuse about it being COVID and blah, blah, blah. But we're like, at this point, I doubt that. And I think, yeah, Joe Brandon the, said the, co- the, the pandemic's over. <laughs> like, right. <come> on now. <laughs> um, but also, he's Austrian. Like, uh, COVID doesn't exist in Europe, as we know. So Exactly. Um, and, like, it, it, not to get too tinfoil hatty, but it does it does feel like a lot of this stems specifically from Stuber. That the fact that we just, like, we don't see the players, we don't interact with the players. Like, I can well, sort of understand, like, not doing direct events with the players, but, like, we don't know, like, like what do we know about the players? The team doesn't market any players besides, like, John Tolkien and maybe Aaron Long. I do th- like, I think that they're like interesting personalities on this team and that we could see shed a little more light into these guys. Um, if you ever, if you follow Patrick Klamala on Instagram, he's a, he's the guy, he's, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. He's got some big bands. I ain't gonna lie. He's got big bands. Uh, Tom Edwards, you know, I hope he's doing all right. Like what a character he was. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I I totally forgot to touch upon this, but yeah, also kind of a coincidence how the moment he goes back to Stoke, the defense starts to start leaking a lot of goals, right? That's very true. People kind of um, uh, totally underappreciated like uh, the consistency and the flexibility that he brought to that yeah. position. But no, apparently he's not a fit for the system, whatever that means. Anyway, yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, like, like thinking back to how much of like the 2018 team was like so much of like the players' personalities were coming out. Like even like the like the pinnacle was like the Bradley Wright Phillips with two nines releases. It's like yeah. like getting to meet him at the you know like this guy you know this you know this legend of the club and like getting to talk with him at at a small intimate event and we just don't we don't get that and I it like again it feels like Struber because also like 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 how I think what what brought me to this point is that you were mentioning about like the interviews that he would do like he doesn't do media like he clearly doesn't do interviews with literally local media in the way that like jesse would have done or like it 
but like strangely enough the only media he would do is that he would just go behind everyone's backs and talk to some like german blog from like austrian blog to talk about how much like he wants to go to a premier league team after this one you yeah know. that's why you know i mean i think uh you when when you can't when you talk about a merc mindset i mean you can't really look past the manager for like the reason why yeah, it's such a weird market. thing where like <clears throat> like the biggest merc like, at the club is Schuber himself. But. Right, like the accusations being leveled at the players being mercs, and the accusations end up being that like this guy wants money to play soccer, where whereas like the manager is currently like <laughs> like talking about taking other jobs while he has this one. Yeah, exactly, and you know, I mean, like you know, for all intents and purposes, you know, I mean, I I do not think that the players have ever given up on this season, you know, and uh, I have never believed for one second that people are just going to be put out in the field to self moan and like, and like piss themselves to death for whatever reason. No, that's never been the case. Right. Every time I've seen it play, players always go out, they give it their all. Sometimes it's not good enough and that's fine. You know, but this manager in the other hand, right. Uh, two or three years into a, "Quote unquote project, which is has been, which is a very long time in context of modern football, right? Talking about how you know coming in in uh, 2020, talking about how you know uh, the team will start contending for trophies in 2021 or whatever, and then uh, saying that people uh, you know were delusional for uh, <laughs> thinking that the team could uh, win trophies in 2022 when we were on the doorstep twice. I'd probably say. I mean." Uh, qualifying for the playoffs and then obviously the semifinal in the US Open Cup. Right. I mean come on now. And right. we were we like, were first place in the East for like a couple weeks and we were at there was exactly. a point in the year where it was not impossible that we would have been in shield contention. Yeah. Um and I think uh, to, to, to harken back to the, all of this as well, right? I mean, I think uh, you talk about the lack of uh, connection between the fans and the club. I mean, uh, all the stuff like match day has kind of dried up as well for whatever reason. Uh, we weren't really getting that much up over the pandemic. Sure, I understand that. But, you know, I mean, things are opening up again. We still yeah. can't really, and we can we can't get to kind of see glimpses of what players are like behind the scenes the same way that we used to do for match day, right? And that's what sort of like uh, is the basis for players starting to feel like, you know, a bit more personable, I would probably say. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I do agree that there's probably uh, glimpses that you can get glean off of social media, but you don't really quite get that same level of, uh, I mean, that same semblance of intimacy, would you say? I don't yeah. know if that's the right word, but yeah. No, I think, I think that's the case. And I think like part of my, you know, my, my, my candle lighting over, over Jochen Schneider is that like, at least he has experience. Like I make fun of Schalke a lot, but like, that's like a team where it's a big club. It's a historic club in German football. The way the club is run, like the fans are extremely close to the club. Uh, there is a lot of interaction between the players. It's just like the fans are, are a more intimate part of the club than it than it has been. And I, and I think from what I've heard about Jochen Schneider is that he mentions how the club's like finances were affected by COVID. Uh, I mean, and not just the finances, but like you thought like the atmosphere of German football and it's like playing in front of empty stadiums without the fans. And like you got like, the, like he kind of gets that that sucks and that how much how important fans are to the match day experience to the club. Whereas like, I like I joke, but like sometimes I feel like Struber's like wishes that he could play in front of empty stadiums again. 
yeah, because I think, uh, I don't know, I mean, like, uh, yeah, there's no resemblance that I get that this guy is very good at taking criticism in any shape or form. No, absolutely and, you know, not. And, you know, I mean, like, that's the deal, right? I mean, like, if it's already so bad for rather niche, um, rather niche um, fan base here in America, yeah. and we're all talking about MLS growing, it's still a relatively niche market, right, in right. terms of global context of global football. I can only imagine how bad it's going to be if he gets a squish. Uh, oh my god like literally like you, we've we've club. seen how like he talks to cork for being like the one journalist in our in our press corps that asks like substantive questions like i don't know i don't know what team he's expecting to go to where he's gonna have that like like less than that kind of level of criticism or scrutiny he's gonna he's gonna declare war in the cardiff morning post or something oh my god and uh <laughs> He's going to go to jail, probably, for some psycho bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, that's the deal for me, right? I mean, like, uh, this guy's already melting down because of a couple questions from, I mean, basically, like, fan journalists and fan bloggers, right? I can only imagine how bad it's going to be when it's, like, you know, seasoned pros from English press. Yeah, I don't know what he's expecting. And I think part like of... if he's listening to this podcast right now and getting oh my God. upset from like two guys who basically just spent like close to an hour just shooting shit about whatever. <laughs> One guy but, on the other side of the world. I have uh, declared yeah. war on Singapore and the Dominican <laughs> Republic. <laughs> I've declared war on the New York Yankees. Like, whoa. <laughs> it's like, excuse me, B. Excuse me, sir. Um... Yeah, I think I think you, you may have touched on it earlier, but I think generally, like the the narrative he's trying to spin is that uh, it feels like the way he deflects blame onto the players and by you know by not having the exact uh, profile of players that he needs to, like to develop his system in in its perfect form, it feels like he's making the case that he just doesn't have players good enough to to help this team succeed and what and i think the by that you read that you know that it's what his tactics have been have lifted the team despite its shortcomings when if looking like the ten thousand foot view of this team over this season it really is quite the opposite that most of our goals this season if i can like look at the season as a whole now that it's over uh where are we at 15 wins eight draws, 11 losses. This is just an MLS, but like we could, you know, we, we know what, where we were with the, the open cup and the playoffs or whatever. Um, 50 goals for 41 against. Um, if you want to break it down by home form, uh, six wins, five draws, six losses. Pretty unacceptable, actually. Not actually, like I'm not, that's not a huge take, but then away form, nine wins, three draws, five losses. Um, only one player, I mean, if you look at the, sh- the spread of goals throughout the team, it's, again, like Lewis Morgan, 14 goals in the league, 17 the whole season. Next, you have Lucinius at 7, Patrick Lamala at 6. Funny enough, Long- uh, Aaron Long had 5 goals this season, as much as Tom Barlow had this season, interestingly. Um, I don't know how, like, what you want to break into, but it's like, how many of these goals did not come from like flowing team moves. How many of these goals came from like guys taking shots from wild or like hitting rebounds, taking a shot, you know, not off a move that involved 
two or more players that suggested that there was a clear like pattern of play that the team was expected to be drilled in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, there's nothing that indicates that that's the case at all, right? I mean, uh, really, I mean, when when you look at the way that we've approached attack this season, well, the instructions really, right? I mean, it's more or less quite a lot of people. It's gotten to the point where people just kind of lump long balls up, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 and the idea being, of course, is that, you know, you, you, if, if your players are set and they're prepared to attack uh, the second ball, right, off of the 50-50 challenge, off of the verticality of the long ball, then they'd be in a position where they can press immediately. But that's not even really happening, to be honest. Right. Like, the way that the whole team is attacking right now just doesn't seem, just is really kind of disjointed. The only way yeah. that we kind of bag points is through individual moments of brilliance, right? First it was Lukinias, but then it's Lewis Morgan kind of, uh, you know, kind of pulling. Having a banner season. Yeah. So. Um, and if we could like, if we could like dive into the play more, but it's just like, wh- what is the plan exactly? We, I think you mentioned that we are, you know, the, the pressingest team in the league, but ultimately to what end? Yeah, exactly, and I think Fernando kind of nailed it when he talked about the complete lack of uh, sharpness and transition, right? The intensity and transition, yeah. where you know the ball gets won back and immediately we have four or five guys like pressing up the pitch. Like, I don't know when we've become, I don't know, I don't know, meek, unadventurous. I don't know what the word is to be honest, but basically, like, we don't see that same kind of uh, intensity and transition anymore, right? And this has right. kind of been a problem that's. Uh, happened for i think the last couple of years now right we win the ball back and you only really see one or two isolated folks right no matter what striker yeah. we have up there they're on an island by themselves no one's really making runs off of them to try and uh, you know support the attack and in a yeah. way i think the people who then come run up and support the attack, they do have some limitations in your game where they can't really combine as well we have a couple good i guess move finishers for lack of a better word in Lukinias and Lewis Morgan but none of them really I don't know facilitate and combine the same way that you would need for a team in transition right? yeah I think I'd probably say that that's the uh, big knock right now but yeah you know, I mean that's something that can't be fixed right and you know of course attacking shape is something that can also be fixed if the manager has a good sense of what he wants to do but unfortunately, I mean, like, it's been two or three years now, right? No matter who we throw into that position, they struggle, right? So at what point is it a thing on the players? And what point does it become the manager's instructions? Like, not right. or, or the manager not being able to coax it out as players, right? I mean, we're, again, we're two or three years into a project, a quote-unquote project now, right? Yeah. And I don't think it's as complex as people say it is because if Jim Curtin can do the same thing in Philadelphia, I don't see how, how we can Right. Yeah, you see a clear difference between like, and I don't, so like one, one like, in sort of like the tactics uh, theory spheres of soccer, they talk a lot about like automations where it's like, and I, I, I don't want to use it that much because I feel like it, it's, uh, it, it has a wrong connotation and it veers more into like whatever Struber's trying to do where it's like literally just like the players are little robots that you can just like plug and play wherever you want and don't have personality of what he imagines the team is supposed to be playing but it's like we saw it we saw it in moments in 2018 where like fernando post like the cock like the kaku goal against new york city fc whereas as soon as we win the ball there are guys making breaks to the box right like there's an immediate pass right after it and we just don't 
there's no pattern of play. There's no like, there's no like positional discipline that has guys playing that fast, playing, knowing, knowing exactly what to do, playing balls into space that they know that the teammates will get into. And you know, what's a funny thing is that obviously you haven't been uh, at, at the match day live in a while, but I think even when, when you were there, like one of the hallmarks of like the match day experience is like, um, you know, when the team does like warmups. Yeah. And one, like, I think they would come out like with like 20 minutes before, before kickoff. Right. For some reason, Struber isn't bringing guys out until like there's 10 minutes left on the clock. And so they're just doing, I don't know what they're doing inside. I don't know what he's having them doing because they're still doing the same, like warmups, dynamic stretching. They still play their little rondos. They still like play with the ball and let, and then, but then, and then they'll take shots on goal. And then part of what the drills that they'll do when they warm up is that after they, you know, they have the shooting drills, they'll have like, uh, they'll play the one, two with the coach and they send the ball out wide. And then whoever's playing on the wings, either the winger or the fullback will like feed crosses in, right? Like you're trying to get that muscle memory and you're just working that. And we just stopped doing that. And it's funny. Cause like, we, that's also disappeared in the games. And I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what, what instructions are being given to the players now. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, basically, I think that kind of, uh, I think that basically kind of sums it up. I, I, I think um, the main question on top of all of this as well, you know, I mean, I think that's Kelsa kind of uh, been touched upon briefly on this podcast previously, but also I think uh, deserves a lot more scrutiny as well. Is, you know, the fact that if this is supposed to be the Red Bull guy, that's brought in like what does that say about the state of red bull in general right now yeah right? i mean leipzig are fuck leipzig are a fucking shit show as has been talked about many many times um the only team that does relatively well is salzburg because they play in like the fake such a fake, right they play in the like, farmers league or whatever play, yeah they play i wouldn't even say hunter gatherers league hunter gatherers league like single cell organisms in like the primordial sea off the Pangea <laughs> level league, you know, I mean, like, honestly, like <laughs> primitive accumulations league. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, mean, I don't, like, I don't know what, what's worth watching Salzburg in the Austrian league. Like personally, like Salzburg only gets interesting when they play in the champions league where like they're up against it. But yeah, you, like you're hundred percent right. It's like, what, and I think I, you might have mentioned it earlier, which is like, there's nothing cutting edge about pressing anymore, right? We're, we all do, like, lots of teams do pressing now. There's different kinds of pressing. Yeah, here's uh, the deal, is that even Tiki Taka teams do pressing, and this might shock Right, that was the weird thing, is like, is like, like, like Guardiola's pressing teams very famously do press off the ball. That's very, like, those Barcelona teams, relentless pressers, right? Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, the point is like, Sometimes with Struber, it's like, like, oh, we press, and that's really it. Like, there's no, there's no, uh, it's just like two guys running, run, one or two guys running at the the defender who has the ball. That's really what the extent of the pressing is, and w- how much we press is just like how much they can do that. There's no like, what what is the positional discipline? Where are guys positioned with the guy uh, against you know their their opponents off the ball? Is there a kind of rest defense that we have? It's like. None of it makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is what we talk about, like uh, versus individual pressing actions versus the general overall shape of uh, the general overall shape, right? And I think um, if you are having problems uh, coaxing that individual overall shape, right, then obviously questions are going to be levied about your ability to properly manage and coach, right, mm -hmm. young teams, especially if you are a supposed youth guru. His record at Leipzig, by the way, brought them to ninth place. <laughs> Wait, whose record? Gerhard Schuber. Oh, right. Ninth place in the, the Austrian second division isn't really exactly a glowing uh, indictment, I think, of uh, your ability right. to bring along youth, but whatever. I mean, like, that shit is even more fake than uh, any Austrian first decision. <laughs> Austrian first division anyway but um what can i what i can definitely say is is in light of all of this right i think uh to move away from pressing to move away from individual tactical decisions and i think to move away from uh yeah basically anything to do with the new york operation i mean i think uh touched upon this at the top of the episode but generally, I don't know what the worth of saying, right, that there is some kind of semblance of a global project going on anymore. No. If there's anything going not. on the last two or three years. I mean, I don't think it even really existed to the degree that we thought it did. To be quite frank, there's no indication at all, right, that there there's anyone at Red Bull Global right now that is good at calling shots related to football-related operations. Right. Quite frank. Like, it's a whole bunch of nothing. Who is the football guy at Red Bull Global? This is the main question that I have. <laughs> right? People Do we have to press the Mario Gomez button? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't really count. No, I don't think so. I mean, like he, like, I mean I, and then again, like this is where you kind of have the danger of running into Kremlinology about the whole operation, <laughs> right? About, oh, who reports to who and who's in charge of what? I mean, like, uh, if there's anything the last two or three years have proven, I mean, like, what actually goes on at the global hierarchy has, like, zero, like, zero implications for New York because they're more than happy to just kind of let us rot and divine and, and, and self-operate as a petty fiefdom of its own. So that Mark de Grand Prix can keep on, a, I don't know, doing self-aggrandizing bullshit uh, before and after games. He can think of a, of a fourth kind of, like, Hall of Fame type thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, four, the, the, the Red Bull Arena Ring of Honor. As <laughs> <laughs> he co-presents with a... He, he gives the players championship belts for it. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the deal for me. You know, I mean, um, we are... The, 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 the key thing about all of this, right, is that, you know, the idea of the head of sport position being there was supposed to be the idea that there would be someone accountable for sporting decisions the New York side and you know for a while there it kind of worked you had Kevin Thelwell there sort of uh, calling the shots and coincidentally while he was here the most uh, 
transfer activity we've seen in quite some time, right? You know how the moment he leaves, we've gone back to signing retreads and uh, hopeful lottery tickets from all over South America, South and Central America. Basically, mm-hmm. right? I mean, uh, then um, Schneider, I mean, like uh, this winter window is probably going to be the first real indication of what he can do. So uh, right. basically, I'll keep my eyes peeled on that one. But you kind of uh, moving, but so uh, moving on from that. Um, but moving back to this whole thing, right? I mean, the whole point of there being ahead of sport here is that there's supposed to be is that so long as the positions exist and so the is the position in itself existing, right? I think Cork summed this up perfectly. Uh, managers and sporting directors will come and go, but so long as um, you have that hierarchy and you have that um, and you have people doing executing that role, right? Overlooking personnel, making decisions uh, for the overall project in New York, then for most part. You know, I mean, uh, that's supposed to be the main important thing. Some degree of oversight, some degree of accountability. But we haven't really seen anything approaching that semblance, I think, since Kevin Thelwell left. I think I think that's basically what we're trying to get around to saying. Right. And, you know, I mean, it almost feels like he's vindicated in a way. <laughs> Yeah, I'm yeah. Quite I made I, I joked that like that like he would rather work with Frank Lampard than work with Gerhard Struber, and now it feels like yes, that that makes a hundred percent that makes a hundred percent sense now. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, it's 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 just so emblematic of uh, the level of malaise and the level of rot that's kind of happened. Right, where the guy who is supposed to be brought in to oversee all of this jets, and then we're immediately back to the Armis and Hamlet years, right? Zero direction, just gambling on lottery tickets, really. Right. <laughs> I should kind of tell you everything about the state of the, the current state of the operation, right? I don't think yeah. we're we, we are an involved appendage for some grand global ambition. But rather, we just happen to be owned by an energy drink company in Austria who can't tell its elbow from its ass when it comes <laughs> to football. I think uh, what ha- what happened to Matishitz Crooks, right, uh, is going to be pivotal because uh, I mean, there's the, there's the rumors around that the Thai side of the ownership doesn't really want to uh, continue sporting operations. Right. Yeah, this is kind of basically only done to because Matashitz is fuck you money, and he can mm-hmm. and wants to fund all kinds of things with it. So basically, we find ourselves at a crossroads. I think going into the this is probably going to be the off season that we approach with the most. Um, I mean, I've, I feel like I've said this every year for the past three years, but this is the what the most intriguing off season we've had. We've ever had. had. Years, but no, I mean, uh, I'm going to stray away from that. It's going to be an interesting off season because once again, I didn't think we'd find ourselves here this soon and this early, but it's a sign of a flagging project when we have to, where it feels like we're at a crossroads again. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, there's basically, 
basically, I think uh, it's reflected in in the stands, right? People aren't the, the buzz surrounding the club is gone. Uh, I guess COVID has caused people to kind of reevaluate their lives a little bit. So people have started to kind of drift away from it, which I totally understand. You know, and I think uh, the overall uh, game day experience nowadays is just so fucking rough, right? You know, you have all these bells and whistles and shit that are basically there to like uh, appeal to ADHD, <laughs> ADHD folks. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's and uh, basically, I think uh, the club's marketing strategy isn't actually good at converting a lot of uh, their converting a lot of those uh, attempted. Converting a lot of uh, prospective um, prospects into actual fans, right? Or lifelong yeah. fans, so to say. Um, so I don't know, man. I mean, I think uh, if this is the most down we've been on the club since 2015, I think it's completely justified. And yeah. in a way, I think it's sort of like a, it's sort of a culmination of that old thought experiment, right? About what would the club look like if we hadn't hired Jesse Marsh in 2015, right? And had those golden years of uh, football where there was a real buzz and excitement around the team. I mean, I think you're starting to see what it looks like now, right? I mean, uh, quite frankly, the lack of energy, the lack of ideas, the lack of inspiration from basically anything, right? I mean, I Mm. think it's... It's grim times, so to say. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's just really, really grim times. Um, I don't know what else to say about it other than that, really. Um, <laughs> I think I've uh, gotten more dejected as the episode's gone on. So, I mean, I guess we'll try and put a bow on the season this way. Um, I would want to hand out awards, but... Uh, I guess um, I don't know if I really want to, to be honest. <laughs> Goalkeeper of the year, Carlos Coronel. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty easy. I mean, uh, my 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 choice for player of the year. I mean, I think it has to go to Lewis Morgan personally because of uh, you know, I mean, just all the points that he's won through individual brilliance. I think yes. If we had some kind of creator or facilitator in the attacking third you know i think uh i think he'd be even deadlier than he is already which is kind of crazy to think about but you know 17 goals is a pretty damn good return you know from yeah even then it's like even if you eliminate uh penalties it's still like he's still i think well a top scorer yeah exactly and even then like i don't think he missed a penalty this season which is pretty uh pretty spectacular yeah it's uh, pretty interesting to see that he's basically uh he's had a royer season basically oh yeah maybe yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think um that again i think um we should probably look at that scoring record as an indication of you know i mean once again right what's what's really going on in attack right now Mm-hmm. Every strike, if every striker we've tried to put at that position underperforms, at what point is it the players, and at what point is it the manager? Right? I mean, I think I seriously right. have to ask people to uh, seek, do some soul searching here. Right? How many? 
what, like six? Six uh, different players. Patrick Lamala, uh, Tom Barlow, or Maria Fernandez, Ashley Fletcher, Elias Manuel, and Fabio. I, I, did we? Oh, Fabio, right? If we want to count last season too. And I think there are points in like Lewis Morgan is also sort like a pseudo striker, and it's just like. You know, we have six players playing in this position and none of them work out. Either either you just think, well, we just can't sign a good striker or there's something wrong. <laughs> there's something else wrong. What could it be? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean... It's like, if you want to look at the, the, like the newest edition, Elias Manuel, like his season as a whole, six games, two goals, and one assist. Yeah, if I mean, he was I mean, any other of the strikers we had, no one would be thinking that. Oh yeah, we should sign this guy permanently. Yeah, I mean, and basically, I mean, so those goals didn't really come from anything that you could say. Uh, no, absolutely, that resemble this. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, a level of intent in attack or a devised attacking plan. Like those also yeah. kind of came off of like individual brilliance, right? I mean, the guy just took a shot you know, outside the eighteen, on the second one, and knuckleballed in the top corner. It's a pretty sweet goal. Yeah. It was pretty but, sick. I was I was on the perch and the ball came down and I thought it took a deflection because you know that that arc that happens yeah. when you take a deflection, but no, he just hit it, hit it so sweet. Yeah, it was a good goal. But uh, you know, I'm not I'm I'm not ready to anoint him as the chosen one just because he scored a couple goals, right? I mean, uh, no. I, I mean, I think at that point it's just very much knee jerky because people have uh, oh no, I guess people have an axe to grind against Patrick Kamala for whatever reason. You know, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it either. But you know, it's, it's I pretty don't obvious like when you somehow tell, like it's pretty obvious when you can tell that the discourse is just there to you know be knee jerky and be there to like just spite people who they have a perceived grudge against. Uh, you mm-hmm. know. I think that's basically the state that we are. I mean, I don't think I'm really fooling anyone here. Uh, <laughs> but you know, yeah, I think. I that's where we are, basically. I mean, I think um, at this point, you know, I, 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 I'm just gener- generally not interested in commenting on what some grand global Red Bull, Red some grand Red Bull global ambition, because it just simply doesn't exist. <laughs> the New York Club is not part of some great, great overarching organism. It's just an appendage. Right. It's just an appendage that happens to <laughs> carry the Red Bull name. That's all it really is. I mean, I think I think uh, there's no other way of looking at it from what we've seen the past two or three years. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we get some semblance of uh, life from uh, our new head of sport. Hopefully, uh, we get a sense of what he can accomplish um, here this off season because I think he's basically our only hope once again, right? I mean, uh, just as a farewell before him, a lot of uh, a lot of hope rides on Jochen Schneider, I think. So I'm I'm more than happy to give him a fair shot. I'm more than happy to you know I mean see how it plays out. But you know I think um, more than ever, if we don't see action this window, like uh, I'd be very very concerned. Basically, I hope it begins with uh, like you said, right, the comunicado official that we have always <laughs> with the Gerhard Struber. So you can fuck off to a, I don't know Linz or whatever, some oh my God. shitty Austrian club like that. I don't know. I don't fucking care. Right. 
We're going to be like watching, half watching a Europa League game in about three or four years, and we're going to see a very familiar bald man on the sidelines uh, yelling at uh, his uh, band of mercenaries at Apoel Nicosia. And we're like, oh, yeah. We're <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Or we're going to like fast forward five years and find out that he's been like uh, murdered by a mob of Indonesian supporters because he just uh, perceived a Jakarta or something. Oh my god! <laughs> what would be like the most random club he would pop out at? You're right, the, like Indonesia would be. He's he's, he's going to be giving uh, you know the Dennis Wise uh, team talk to that he gave to the Indonesian under 17s You know where Dennis was fucking like, hit just, him, fucking hit him. But instead of <laughs> it's, you know, you just have to press him, Ridwan. <laughs> <laughs> you run to the ball. You challenge the man. <laughs> You just press him, and then uh, you just and, win in our pressing moments. Yeah, and then he, and then and then he gets stabbed to death outside the stadium. I think that'd be pretty. Oh funny. my god, <laughs> that might be crossing a line, though. Uh, <laughs> uh, may, uh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, make satire, 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 yeah. comedy. Uh, I don't know. Uh, anyway, Jochen Schneider, uh, you're up the bat. Just like um, you're up to bat. I think that's going to basically do it, unless you have anything do you, else. Do you have play. a highlight of the season? Have a highlight of the season? I mean, ever, mm-hmm. I mean, ever since we got creamed by Orlando, I mean, like, I just completely, like, I don't know. I, I, I just blue screened after that. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't want to watch a single minute. I didn't watch a single minute after that because I was just so oh, fucking yeah. pissed off and I just had to reset mentally because I was like, I can't believe we just got past 5-1 in the semifinal and our manager is out here like blaming everyone but himself for it. Like I, I was just completely shocked at like the complete lack of uh... somehow somehow we're not supposed to be mad at the fact that we lost 5-1 in the semifinal. Like, right. Like, are, are are we fucking kidding ourselves here? Like, right. That 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 all of a sudden that we just like a span in the span of a month, the team was like, you know what, we're gonna concede five goals today. It's like yeah. three different times. Exactly, and like you're basically two fluky wins away from lifting a trophy, and he says, oh, the U.S. Open Cup was always out of our reach when we probably were gonna have fucking Sacramento Republic at home, right? For the final. For I the mean, that's a fucking layup. Let's talk about this guy's like a complete lack of ambition. You talk about like a losing five one in the semifinal, and the guy says, "Oh, you know, I don't think we we're gonna win anything this year." It's like you fucking bitch. I mean, like people, people win two <laughs> fluky games in the MLS regular season all the fucking time, and you tell me that you can't go and fucking do it for the US Open Cup. Literally, that happens in MLS Cup. Like, what are you talking? Yeah, about? Yeah, like what the fuck? I was like, oh, you're MLS, quote unquote, MLS champions are crowned that way all the time. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's like, we don't have the kinds of players that they did on the 2012 Colorado Rapids. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Gerhard. I hate you so much, honestly. <laughs> we don't have we don't have quality players like looks at notes. Mac Macumba Kanji. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you, folks, you got to give him credit for it. Uh, have you ever broken your leg trying to score a game winning goal? No. Then then no. don't talk shit to me. That's the kind of grit and that's the kind of perseverance that we are lacking on this team. And uh, am, am I still on the air with Mike and Mad Dog? 
<laughs> Boomer, look, we don't. The players are not good enough. Never mind that the, the team was sixth in the table. The players just aren't good enough. So you're saying the team finished last place? No, actually, quite the contrary. <laughs> if we didn't, if we weren't so cheap, we would be. We would be at the top of the table, like uh, checks top of the table. Toronto FC. Oh fuck, no, no. <laughs> we got to be spending like like Philly checks table. Oh, they they only spend slightly more than we do. Never mind. <laughs> Alex, 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 Patrick Clavala is a starting striker. (laughs) (laughs) Patrick Clavala is a designated player. He makes designated player money. You don't compare to Tom Barlow. (laughs) Tom Barlow is a substitute. (laughs) He's only good for 15 minutes a game. Oh yeah, this is what we've resorted to basically. Uh, <laughs> w fan impersonations. So, uh, oh my god! To answer your question, highlight of the season, I, 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 I can't remember a good signature win that we've had. I think. To be I honest. think for some of the me, vibes think... earlier the season were fun though. Like when Bukinias came, it was, and then he looked really, really good. But then for some reason, like he just kind of flagged off. I mean, I. Don't really have a specific reason as to why that is. I have a feeling that ever since uh, he started being, I mean, hacked, hacked more. Oh, right? maybe, yeah. You know, I think um, kind of took his influence out of the game a little bit. Yeah, I think like to my, I think I made the the case earlier this season that like he kind of ex- he gave like the X factor to what the team was like. We had our set plan, and then like he could like offer an alternative when things weren't working out. And I think at certain point the plan just bent when like actually just give the ball to him that became plan a yeah. and it turns out plan a not good enough but yeah you're absolutely right um if i could give i think the that first win in the open was, turns out both my highlights are in the open cup but like the open cup win against new york city fc real great you know before we got swept by them in the regular season to finish below them i think just taking them down a peg felt really great in the open cup in our home stadium. Um, and what was the score? Was it like 3-1 or something like that? Something like that. I don't know. We scored more than two goals, I think, or at least two goals. Um, um, we, 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 did, we did stun on them. That is true. Um, that, that was, was really good. Like, probably the most comprehensive team victory. And then I think I think probably the equal would be the following game against Charlotte at, uh, at MSU Soccer Park. I felt like that... I don't know what it was like the intimate confines. I think everyone who was there was like really there for a reason to see this team. Um, and I think the team, this is like, that was like, I don't think that was the best version of this team, but like you could really felt like the team was really in its pomp, right? The team scored early. Uh, Charlotte equalized in the first half in the, it, at the end of the first half. And then the team just came out all guns blazing in the second half. Um, so many great, you know, just like the attacking moves. One of Patrick Lamala's best games in this shirt um really great shit housing in the end uh tom edwards once again proving uh masterful shit housing um oh wait were those reversed did we play charlotte and then new york city fc uh i think that was the case because if tom barlow no because if tom edwards played tom edwards got sent off at the end of the open cup game against city so i think it was 
Yes, I think that was the case. Yeah, Charlotte came first because uh, NYC was uh, the quarterfinal. Yes, so both of those are my highlights. Yeah. They were a long time ago, though, but those were nice. Yeah, there was literally half a year. Yeah, that was literally four months ago. Oh, God. Like half a year, Jesus. Jesus Christ, man. It feels like an eternity, man. Feels like. <laughs> <I go> like... <laughs> oh, yeah. These last few months have kind of passed like molasses. I'm not going to lie to you, but I think that's good. Because the last yeah. two years have passed by way too quickly, I think. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think uh, the shopping list for the offseason, I think, uh, would probably be get a new manager for me. And then, uh, yeah, top of the list. Might need more. Do you, might need to bring in a couple new defenders, I think. See what happens with Aaron Long. Uh, See what happens with Aaron Long, yeah. And then I think, um, I mean, I think really, I mean, when you look at the overall structure, I mean, our top 11 isn't that far away, you know, from being. They're not, you know, the fantastic. argument that like we just don't have players good enough is like, you know, if we if the players were as bad as people said they were, we would not have been where we were in the table. Um, exactly. I mean, like I, I look at this right now and I really can't pinpoint too many, uh, too many holes, to be honest with you with our strongest 11. Like, and, other than the guys that, like, people just feel like making scapegoats out of, like, Dylan Nealis or whatever, like, I don't, you know, I don't get it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean... You know, I think people need to understand that, like, Dylan Nealis is probably the top end of that kind of player. Like, people were comparing him to Reese Buckmaster. I'm like, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. That's because they just want to... No, I mean, I think it's because of the whole point for these people is to, uh, you know, give really glib jokes for maybe two or three likes on Twitter. Right. <laughs> like 500 times a day or whatever. It's like, again, like, LAFC won the shield with Matt Hollingshead in the team. If Matt Hollingshead was playing right back for us, y'all would fucking complain all the time about him. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal, right? I mean, in a salary cap league, I mean, like, these are the types of people who are going to be your best players, right? We don't have the Pep Guardiola budget where we can just go and drop like 50 million pounds on and even then it's like it's like the 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 salary list came out and the rankings came out we were at the bottom partly because we offloaded two big contracts and ashley fletcher and uh who is it tom edwards and then i guess you could also make the case that like uh lucas monzon and who am i missing jason pendon were also earning a bit uh, we, we we made that much cap space, and it's like, but there's no, there's really nothing you can, there's no case you can make based on this. Like Toronto FC is the top of the list, and they were garbage this year. LAF uh, or was it LA Galaxy the second most? And like, how did they do? Then there's Miami, Atlanta, Chicago. Chicago secretly like one of the biggest spending spenders in the past ten years with absolutely like nothing to show for it. Then you got LAFC. Then you got New England, another bad team. Columbus um seattle kind of in the middle also missed the playoffs uh who else like philly is philly is like the second to last and top of the east montreal kind of again like the bottom of the middle of the pack there's nothing the really only the only case you can make is teams should spend wisely not freely and again that's something that you you don't even know until after the fact right yeah exactly i mean Spending smartly is one of those things uh, that, uh, I mean, only really becomes apparent once you see it. someone slot into the team, obviously. And, uh, right. you know, I mean, if you have the benefit of scouting with hindsight, you would hit 100% on every single one of your signings. Right. I mean, that's really Having obvious. the lowest payroll in the league is only good 
when it's good. When it's not good, like when it's not good, suddenly it's a problem. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like it wasn't a problem with we steamrolling people in 2015 and 2018, like I said. Right, right, and even then, like the point of celebrating like having a low payroll is that like you've scouted effectively and you have good homegrowns that you don't have to pay huge salaries to yet. Eventually, you're going to have to pay these guys money, right? Yeah. Other, or you offload them to other teams. Yeah, and that's so. basically what happened with the, uh, you know, I mean, the way that we used uh, Red Bull 2 slash Academy signings in the past, right? I mean, like uh, the past couple of years at the pipeline. Exactly. You had people coming Smart up. scouting from CONCACAF too. Yeah, you had people coming up and providing like really good, cheap, solid depth. And that's what the whole point of Red Bull 2 and the Academy is supposed to be. I mean, like uh, Sean Davis spelling for Dax McCarty becoming, going from like, you know, yeah, Dax McCarty's spotter being an integral part of the first team and then when he just kind of ended up costing too much money we just moved on to nashville and you know i mean i don't think we really miss him too much to be honest i don't yeah. think uh, nashville's really set the world on fire not really missing a lot now are we i mean i think at the end of the day i mean like it's one of those things that kind of end up being vindicated so you're not really going to knock the team too much for stuff like that you know it's um Again, you know, I mean, I think people just need to. It'll be a case, like you said, that, yeah, you know, I mean, Dylan Nealis is probably going to be one of the more top line depth players you can get. And if uh, you have the money and budget to bring someone in who can perhaps perform at a higher caliber, then, yeah, maybe you try and do that. But then again, you have to ask yourselves, like, how many right backs out there that fit a certain profile are there going to be that are going to like to bring in? And we have to use designated player money on. They exist out there, but not all of them are going to be willing to come to America on the terms that you give them, which makes it a lot, you know, which makes it a, which makes it a question really, I think, uh, of, which makes it a question, I guess, of, uh, you know, I think, uh, what was the, what was the word that I was going for? Um, I forget. I, hmm. I, I lost the thought. Sorry, I tried, but it's not coming back. Um, oh yeah, it's make, it makes it a question of cost versus opportunity, right? And I think exactly. um, there aren't going to be as many opportunities as the average fan likes to think out there because you know it's a two-way thing, right? It's not like uh, you log on to FIFA and you just you know find the first seventy-four rated guy that you can bring in on your budget, you know, because the, Players have agency in this transfer market. Uh, the transfer market is the way it is right now because players have a shitload of agency, I would probably argue, right? Where they can just kind of, you know, kick up a fuss with your agent and then like move around all these big glamorous clubs for like 80, 90 million pound transfers each year. Shit like that, you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is the reality of the market that we operate in nowadays. And I think, um, you know, I mean, I would certainly welcome upgrades like that, but, you know, I mean, just be mindful that sometimes bringing in players of the desired caliber aren't always going to be available, and there are always going to be circumstances that prevent us from bringing them over, especially when you are in a salary cap league like MLS, right? Mm -hmm. So, but really, like I said, you know, I mean, like, depth doesn't really an issue to me so long because you can always develop that internally. Um, and I think our top 11, you know, I mean, other than some couple minor upgrades here and there, like in a vacuum, the players aren't bad. You 
know, in fact, I'd probably say that they can probably go head to head with most other teams in the league. What's holding them back, to be honest? I mean, I, I can't really see it other way as the manager. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where I'm at. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add, or should we just wrap it up? I think we can wrap it up. I think I think we got a lot off the chest to yeah. wrap up this season. Yeah. So I think we'll probably. I think... Sorry. What was that? No, 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 no. You. Uh, well, you yes. Uh, well, I think just my general like closing thought is that like you know, if you've been watching this team for any amount of time, the season we had. In terms of vibes, in terms of results, in terms of the general play, no one should think this is acceptable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that kind of sums it up, really. I mean, you can talk about, like, you know. Despite what, what the manager insists on telling you, uh, better things are possible. Yeah. Like, I do not see fourth place in the East the way the East is, as overachieving by any means. You know, especially not with, you know, the fact that we've signed, I don't know, like a whole bunch of 16, 17 different players over the last two windows, right? Mm-hmm. And manager still has no idea how he wants the team to line up week after week, right? And wants to blame everyone but himself for his continuous shitty decisions. Like, there's been one common denominator in all this, and I mean, I have no benefit of the doubt anymore. I think my mind's pretty clear made up on this so that's basically where we are i think i agree you know better things are possible and i hope that we uh you know it's uh the ball's in your court now Jochen schneider you're up to bat i hope you had a few home runs uh just like uh you know i hope the yankees hit a few home runs <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I guess on behalf of Juan, we're going to sign off here by saying uh, 27 rings, baby. <laughs> so my dick from the back. <laughs> Imagine being a Mets fan. Couldn't be me. Ha ha. You made some bad, bad decisions. Fuck you. It's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> All the Mets fans out here have been like, oh, why did I ever make the decision to be a Mets Catching fan? strays. Yeah, I was like, yeah, of course. Why did you ever make the decision to be a Mets fan? You had that agency, bro. It's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> Bernal's gonna listen to this and post, and he's gonna like just scrub out the last like five minutes. It'll, like, right. <laughs> this is unacceptable. They're like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> he's probably on his way to Singapore right now, actually, to kick my ass. So uh, yeah, right. Think, uh, if uh, you don't hear from me, uh, I mean, you'll probably hear from me sometime during the off season. But uh, if you don't hear from me for the next few months, it's probably because Fernandez whooped my ass. Remember, Fernando did it. Fan TV saying, good night. Have a nice day and go Yankees. Good night. (laughs)